0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. If you would like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermon link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. But as you're turning, I know I mentioned this last week, but I have just a, a card that Kristen and I have, have written out, and it's just a thank you card um, with everything that's happened the past couple of weeks with the passing of, of, of Dad. There are not enough words to fully express our heartfelt thanks for the sympathy, love, prayers, and support you've extended to our family during our time of great loss. Thank you for all the calls, the texts, the visits, the meals, the foods, food, provisions, and for coming to the visitation and the funeral. The Lord has been with us, and we are so thankful for you um, as you walk through this journey with us. So thank you again. We really appreciate all the effort, all the love, and all all the prayers. I'm gonna read Hebrews chapter four, and I'm gonna go all the way through verse eleven this this week. We'll we'll hit we'll move forward with twelve to to thirteen next time. Um, and I'll go ahead and give you the topic of or the, the, the title of the sermon. It's Divine Rest. Divine rest. And so keep that in mind as as I read this. After that, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. And I'm actually going to read another prayer to begin our prayer time here before, before I preach with another prayer from the Valley of Vision. But let's read Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, which is, he's quoting Genesis 2 here. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. as God did from His. And then in verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before You today. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us great mercy and grace as we approach this text. We pray that Jesus would increase, that we would decrease. Father, as I always pray, you would work through a sinful person such as me, as I and as we together trust in the death of our Lord and what He accomplished there, even as we get ready today to take the Lord's Supper and remember His death. Father, I pray that You would give us great grace. Certainly may Jesus be more beautiful to us. May He increase. May we decrease. And Father, this new year, I pray this prayer for us. O oh Lord, length of days do not profit us except the days that are passed in Your presence, in Your service, in Your glory. Give us a grace that precedes and follows and guides and sustains and sanctifies, aids every hour that we may not be one moment apart from You, but may rely on Your Spirit to supply every thought, speak in every word, direct every step, prosper every work, build up every mode of faith, and give us a desire to show forth Your praise, to testify to Your love, to advance your kingdom. We, this year, launch our bark on the unknown waters of this year with You, O Father, as our harbor. With You, O Son, at our helm. With You, O Holy Spirit, filling our our sails, guide us to heaven with our loins girt, our lamp burning, our ears open to your cause, our heart full of love, our soul free. Give us your grace to sanctify us, your comforts to cheer, your wisdom to teach, your right hand to guide, your counsel to instruct, your law to judge, your presence to stabilize. And may, Lord, your fear, the fear of you, be our all and the triumphs of our joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Divine rest. Today, our passage gives us the opportunity to consider the subject of rest. If you remember from chapter 3, I guess that would have been three weeks ago, God promised to take Israel into the promised land of Canaan. And really, chapter 3 and chapter 4 go together. And so we really couldn't preach 3 and 4 without one another. They're all one big passage, and even up into the next couple weeks. But if we remember the story, as Israel came out of Egypt, and there they were in front of the land, the land of Canaan, they sent 12 spies into the land. Ten of them said, we cannot go into that land. Those people are too strong, they're too big, they will devour us. Two of the spies came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said the exact opposite. They said, God is with us. Let us go up and take the land. I imagine they would have, they would have been thinking by, through, through faith, they were thinking, it'll be easy. <laughs> we'll take the land. Maybe or maybe not. But they knew that God had promised them the land. Well, what happened? That generation, they took the advice of the ten spies. They did not believe God's promise. And to that generation, God in His great wrath swore to them, They shall not enter my rest. That's verse all throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4 as, as the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 particularly. Well, we know that it was the following generation that ultimately entered into the land of Canaan <clears throat> under the leadership of Joshua. And it was considered in that time, in that day, a, a place of rest for them. However, when we come to this passage in Hebrews, there is much more than or is much more to the subject of rest than merely entering the physical land of Canaan. You see, the author of Hebrews takes their example As a picture for us. So we can picture that as I told that story. There they are going into the land. That one generation does not go in because of unbelief. And we can picture that. So he gives us a picture of entering somewhere, something, which he calls God's rest. So we can see that. We have a picture of that. And we will see that this is fulfilled in the gospel of Christ. And we'll come to that much later in the sermon. But look over at verses 8 to 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not, have to, <clears throat> would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his so we see that. And now, too, the author of Hebrews uses their example as a warning for us, okay? And we, and I remember this from three weeks ago. This was a that was a very difficult sermon for me and for us to hear because of the seriousness of the warning. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, or it's brothers and sisters, take care lest there be in any of you an evil. Unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's for us today. That's our application. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us or any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look over at chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, let us strive. This is our striving, brothers and sisters. Striving to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that we saw with our example in the deserts. And so with this in mind today, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I think it's very fitting, let's consider the topic of rest. And I have five truths from this passage. And I'll go ahead and tell you, most of these truths, at least four of them, are fairly brief. And we won't get to the meat of it until the last two. And so just hang with me, because I'll get rid of a point, or I'll finish a point, and you'll probably go, wait, that's not enough, John. Let's keep going. So it'll be fairly brief, but, but at the end, I think you will, you will see it come together. So, here are my five truths. I'll give them to you now, from the passage. First one is this, we have the foundation of our rest. We'll see that, the foundation. Number two, we see the promise that God gives us for rest. Three, we're going to see the recipients of of that rest. In other words, who rests? Who gets to rest in God's rest? And then number four and five are both the same. First one is the fulfillment of that rest, part one, and that is now. There is a fulfillment that happens now, and I, I think that is clear from the text, but then I think the ultimate fulfillment, which is what the author is speaking of primarily, is the fulfillment of God's rest later, which will come in the new heavens and the new earth. So with that in mind, first truth, the foundation of rest. Throughout this passage, we see that the author refers to rest as God's rest. It is the foundation of his teaching on, on entering this rest. God is the founder. He is the author of rest. This is divine rest. Look at me, look with me to, to verse three. He says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter whose rest? My rest. That's God's rest. Look at verse 5. Again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And that's God's rest. And look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath. That's the Hebrew Shabbat. Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, the word Sabbath, when we go back to Genesis 2.2, This word Sabbath is used to refer to God's rest. When it says that He created all and then He rested, that's the word Shabbat, Sabbath. Well, we get that word Sabbath after creating the world, after six days on the seventh day. And so, look at the second part of verse 3 here in our text. And the rest of 3 and 4. Although His works were finished from the foundation of the world... For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. So, again, the, the, the author is going back to Genesis 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And then Genesis 2, verse 3, right after that says this. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. And so why did God make this day holy? Well, because he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Now, it is obvious when you think about this that God still works. If He didn't still work, then none of us would be here today because He governs and He orders all things that come to pass. If He were to stop working in this sense, then all things would fall apart. And even in Hebrews, He says that that through the Son, God upholds and preserves all things in chapter 1. But the point in Genesis 2, too, is that God, He stopped His work of creation. It was Finished. And we'll notice that later on when we see the words of Jesus. It is finished as well. I'll keep you thinking about that for a moment. But when God finished His work, He was satisfied. And this is the foundation of rest. This rest that I think the author is speaking of, he is saying this rest is greater than any rest that you can find on a seventh day resting physically or any rest that you might find in a land of Canaan. So he's pointing to a rest that is greater and higher than any of these rests. And that's why in verse 9 he says that there remains a rest for the people of God. Quick application. The rest that God promises, promises us is his own rest. It's not the kind of rest that, that we think of. It's not merely a rest from having a, a long, hard day when there's lots of tension and you come home and you just sit down and have a little bit of a rest because you're like, oh, that feels good. Well, it is the same quality, the rest that God promises us, the same quality as to which God himself enjoys. I can't imagine. It is beyond my comp- our comprehension at this point to, to know what that is. But I believe this, that God created Adam and Eve and every one of us for that rest. So we must ask ourselves as we approach this text, what is rest? What do we have? Are we finding rest in this life? Are we striving for the rest that is to come in heaven? So we must ask ourselves, only one thing can satisfy a restless soul, and that is The rest of God. Let me mention one more thing before moving on to number two. It's very important to our context this morning that this rest that that the author is speaking of, the rest of God. um, When we go back to Genesis 2 there, it's very important for us to know that that God ceased from His work, but this, this rest now continues perpetually. And it's very interesting to me that when you think about, Greg, you, you probably could point this out pretty quick, but in thinking about, as a scientific, just thinking about the days of Genesis, the first six days, what did he say? It was morning and it was evening. Well, what happened to the seventh day? When you come to the seventh day, it doesn't say it is morning and evening. I've never seen that before, which shows that his rest now will continue on Perpetually, it will always be so. And so, God is the foundation of rest. So that's truth number one. Truth number two, we find the promise of rest. Really clear here, rest is God's promise to us. Look at verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands... Now, our example in the text is the land of Canaan. We know the story. We went over it over and over. It's pretty simple. God promised, though, before then to give a land to Abraham, flowing with milk and honey, which was just a picture of a beautiful land where he could rest. And when God brings his people out of slavery from Egypt, God says, okay, enter that land. Enter the land of promise that I promised back to Abraham. Go up and take it. It's yours. And as they stood before this land, they knew God's promise. They knew that it came back from Abraham. They knew that back in Egypt that Joseph said, I promised to take my father's bones back up. And he knew that he would come out of Egypt. We knew the promise was there. And Moses and Joshua and Caleb all made sure that they knew God's promise. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is really one big promise. And it's it's a book of promises. And they don't come from someone who is sinful like us, who break their promises. Here we are at the beginning of a new year. I'm not even going to ask for hands, but how many of us have done new year's resolutions? Or if we have not, how many of us did them last year or the year before or maybe 20 years ago, when we're gung-ho, we know we're going to do better this year. Well, just personally, um, I know myself and I break resolutions every single day. I think probably goals would be better than resolutions, but that's what we are like. I think my point here is that God is not like us. When He makes a promise, it is sure to come about, and He will bring it about. God is faithful to His Word. His promises do not fail, and He will not fail to give what He has promised. And even if you go back to that story of them going into the land, that first generation did not get in, did they? But God held His promise, did He not? The second generation, they did go into the land. God fulfilled His promise in that way. And in the same way, the same principle stands. God's promised to us rest. That's number two. Truth number three, who are the recipients? Who are the benefactors? Who receives the rest of God? Who will enter? Who are the ones who receive His promises? Well, I think it's pretty simple. It's those with faith. Faith. Look over at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. One of my favorite verses, I think I memorized this one a long time ago. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. This is chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You hear what that says? Without faith, you cannot please God. We cannot please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, let's think about our context Look at chapter, go back to chapter 4, verse 2. For good news came to us, we read, just as to them. But the message that they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So what happened to the older generation in the desert that did not enter the land? They perished in the desert and we read that chapter 3 verses 16 to 19 why did they die in the desert well we see it is because of unbelief you see they heard God's message they heard it they knew God's promise that the land was there and God had promised them the land they saw his miracles as he brought them out of Egypt and then they did not believe God would keep his promise to take them into that land. So, if anyone will enter God's rest, it will be through the means of faith. That means that when we sit here today, and you sit here today, and you come week after week after week after week, and the gospel is presented, and you listen to it, and that's all you do, and you think it's going to benefit you, as opposed, to, and we're going to apply this later. But following on with that, and what that means, then. If it is not mixed, if my preaching is not mixed with faith, then it will do you no good. In fact, it will do you great harm in the end, and you will not see, we will not see. The, the same applies to me as, as we hear this message together. And so, up until this time now, I've said very little about what this looks like what this rest looks like and how I think this should be applied to us but in order to do this now let's turn our attention to point number four the fulfillment of God's promise in the gospel so truth number four the fulfillment of God's rest call it part one now I think this is the author's point You've heard, he's saying, you've heard the message of the gospel. If we look back, look back to chapter 1, Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, who has he spoken to us by? The Son. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer, pay much closer attention to what? To what? what? what we have heard. And then look at at verse 3 of chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So, this is what we have heard. This is what we hear every week. This is what Kids, your parents, teach to you, you, I hope. This is what we hear when we listen to good sermons. This is what we get when we read the entirety of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. We hear the message of the gospel of Christ. So from one perspective, this great salvation that comes down to us in the gospel of Christ is what we have here. This is what rest is. The gospel of Christ is God's plan to give His people rest now. Just this morning, just this morning, in my quiet time, I'm starting over again. Yesterday the first day of the year. And here's day two, and I'm in Matthew 1, verses 21 to 23. Here's some words I read this morning. She will bear a son... You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which which means God with us. Now go back to chapter 2 of Hebrews. We see more details of this great salvation, which... In this salvation we find rest. But here we see this. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is the gospel. This this will help us today as we prepare here in a few minutes to take the Lord's Supper. But we see Him for a little while who was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. We see this throughout the book of Hebrews. Today, let's be clear, to find God's rest is to trust, believe in, receive. Put your faith in. Many ways we can say that. In Christ. And if you trust in Christ, you will be justified in God's sight. This is the great doctrine of justification. And so when you trust in Christ, when you believe in Christ, what happens? Well, because of His death on the cross, and what it accomplished, as He takes our sin upon Himself, and we give Him Our sin and he gives us his righteousness, God, who is the judge of all the earth. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, what does he say about you? Well, standing there in the courtroom of heaven, he hits his heavenly gavel down and he says, John, you are not guilty. If you are a Christian today, if you've believed on him, he will say, You are not guilty, you are justified, go free. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. And that's what it means to be saved. And again, that's the great doctrine of of justification. And if you are a Christian today, then you have rest in your soul. And so this happens now. Okay, So that's truth number four. Let me make a few comments about about this, though, before we move on to number five. About particularly faith in the gospel. Comment number one. The only appropriate response to the gospel is faith. What does Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say? And I think that maybe this comes back when we first started meeting. We named our church Grace Baptist Church. For by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. It is not of works, it's not of anything that you can do, so that none of us can boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so the only response that we have, brothers and sisters, is is one of faith and belief. In God's promise to send His Son, and then looking back upon the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, we believe on the Lord Jesus and we find rest, even now, for our souls through faith. Two, second comment. Faith is more than just intellectual assent. Faith without works is dead. James says that very clearly. So works are the evidence of our faith. So if you look at your life and you find that you really have no desire over a period of time... I mean, Often I have no desire to read the Word. Not often, but I find times where I'm so down. I, even this past couple weeks with my dad passing, I have found that my motivation in some things, um, I'm not normally a, a very down person. I'm pretty glass half full. I'm more glass 99.9% full, if you know me. Um, and Kristen just thinks that some of my last couple weeks have been just with the passing of my dad and it's just affecting me in ways that I don't even know about. And, and those of you who've gone through you know, the death of loved ones, it, it does. It affects you in different ways. Um, but but it's, it is what it is, Pam. It is what it is. And God is, is in control and He's sovereign and His providence in this time. But um, <coughs> still, if you find yourself over a period of time not desiring to read the Word and it's normal... It's just normal part of your life. Or you don't really have a desire to be with God's people, not just on Sunday mornings, but during the week and other times and on the phone and to be with, maybe to listen to preaching and to read good books and be with others in that way. Um, then I would say, where, 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 where is your faith? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and that's what we do. And so mere intellectual assent is not enough because so many name the name of Christ and He's going to say, they're going to come to Him on that day and they're going to say, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not visit? Did we not go to, the, to prison? He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And I think that's part of the warning passages of Hebrews for us today. And as we, and the more I'm just telling, the more I see Hebrews, the more the warnings are coming out than anything else I see. and they, these warnings are for us. they're God's means to keep us going, that we might not fall away. Faith is more than intellectual assent. Final comment here before moving on to the fifth point. The principle of faith in, in God's as, as that which leads to God's rest, is, has been the same principle from the beginning. Get verse 2 of chapter 4. Good news came to us just as it came to them. You see, our author's example is the message of the promised land. <clears throat> and at that time, Old Testament saints were saved by believing God's promises, by faith. According to Romans 4, Paul makes a big argument that that Abraham was saved or justified by faith. And Abraham was before that generation. Well, that generation did not enter the land, but the next one did by faith. And then later on, we see in this passage, David writes Psalm 95, some hundreds of years after Moses. And he says to those who are listening to him in Psalm 95, many years later, the exact same words. He says, today, David is saying to them in their time in Israel, today, brethren, if you hear his words, do not harden your hearts, but believe the promises of God. That is what we are doing today. That's what I'm doing. It's just we have the fulfillment in Christ. They look forward to it. But I'm saying the same thing. Brothers and sisters, do not harden Your heart, but by faith, look unto Christ and believe God's promises. So, the same principle is in effect today. And so, with that particular truth there, God's rest, we find rest today in the gospel of Christ and that our sins are forgiven. Finally, truth number five about rest, which is part This is second, the fulfillment of God's rest. It's not just now, but it is future. As we've seen, I believe we begin our rest now in Christ, and we cease to work for our salvation. However, I also see that this passage looks to a future rest. A rest that will not come while we are here as we live in this world. And in all honesty, I believe that's the, really the main way that this author is trying to give this truth. And let me try to explain that in a minute. But before that, look at verses 6 to 11. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now notice verse 8 particularly, speaking about Joshua. And by the way, some commentators, A.W. Pink particularly, does this whole passage, three sermons, Jesus is superior to Joshua, which is very interesting. But look at verse 8. The author says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. Now, I believe that this text primarily teaches that the ultimate fulfillment of our rest will be found only, the ultimate fulfillment, will be found in the new heavens and the new earth one day, future. Consider again the context of our passage. Remember, who was this book written to? Who was this letter written to? Hebrew Christians. Well, when they came to Christ, and they... Forsook and left behind the law of Moses, their traditions, their ways, all of these things, and they turned to Christ. Do you think that they felt that they had entered God's rest with all of their persecutions that came their way? Do you think that after leaving everything, that they did not... That they thought, well, I'm, I'm resting away now. Well, I believe they entered, when they received the message, they entered the most difficult war ever. That is why I believe there must be a future to remain concerning the rest of God in this passage. And it must be heaven. Brothers and sisters, are we in heaven? We're sitting in hard chairs in a gymnasium. Come on. This is, well, I wouldn't, there's a lot of places that are further away than this, than heaven, but this is not heaven. And think about it with me for just a minute. When you go to sleep at night, what do you do? You rest. Sometimes good, sometimes it is bad. And the older you get, guys, the worse the rest can be. That seems to be the general rule. But nonetheless, it is rest, some sort of rest. But when you wake up the next day, think with me, what do you find? What do we find, brothers and sisters? Parents, you find sickness. As one of your children has strep throat or COVID, you find heartache. Because maybe one of your children is rebellious and this child does not listen to your instructions and they may even treat you with contempt and disrespect. You turn on the news just generally and what do we find? We find death where there is another shooting or another war going on somewhere in the world. What happens when you wake up from your rest? You look around you see injustice You see partiality. You may find as you wake up that you find it hard to trust civil authorities or someone who is over you at work because of what's going on. Maybe you find disappointment when you wake up because one of your best friends maybe has turned their back on you. And The older you get, you're going to have friends that are going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you for sure. So many things. Children, especially those of you who are probably 10, 11, 12, 13 in teenage years, it seems like every day is a new war zone. Because you you, you finish studying one subject, and you take that test, and you hit to the next subject, and then your parents move houses, or something happens, or one of your siblings moves out of the house. It Every day, and plus all of the hormones that are going on at those early those times it's like a new war zone every single day and and i think when you think about that you think is this rest well not in that regard it's not rest you think you got one thing figured out and then something else happens those of you i'm jimmy keeps telling me i'm getting a little bit older i'm i don't feel it though jimmy but i am getting older and some things are obvious in, uh, that, that that's happening, but those of you who are older, particularly than me, I think, I think Ms. Holbrook, I think a lot of you, and, and Ms. Gunther and others that are, that are of us that are, that are just a little bit older, and, you know, moving up into your 60s and 70s and even 80s, you know, there's, there's something new that causes you not to rest. <laughs> what do you find in the morning when you wake up? Sore back? That hits me more often than I'd like to say. Or something new is growing on your body somewhere that you didn't see before. You young people are like, don't say that. Don't say that. But it's just true. It's You just wait. You just wait. Or the days of youth are just long gone. They're long gone. I, I do think about, we don't have an old congregation, but we've grown older through the years, and there are those of us who are, are certainly older, and I think about you guys, and I even think about my preaching, how can I apply the gospel to you as I can apply this try to the youngers in the middle and, and, and myself, but as you get older too, the, the house is empty, and for many days or perhaps years, you have very little company, does that? That don't sound fun to me. and even We're, we're not even there yet. Well, our kids are always around, but yet we've only got one in the house. And here we sit today alone. Abigail's up in Durham with her sister. And so you guys know, if you've, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you can imagine. Well, I say, I think, to us all that life, I say it often, but life is short and full of troubles. Paul puts it another way. He says that we're in a constant... Wrestling match, I mean, I think about Garrison and Carson particularly as they go in a wrestle can you How long are these matches? Six minutes How long do you do you go at one go two, two, two? Can you imagine doing two minutes for the rest of your life? That is the way Paul describes our match if we are Christians in this world. I cannot imagine that, but yet when I mention these things doesn 't it feel like and we're not only wrestling against those things we're wrestling against our own sin and the issues we know that we have And we're trying to be more godly we're trying to move on all of these things So this, does this sound like rest when I put it like that to you now yes in the gospel we do rest as we've seen Jesus says to us now come to me all of you who labor are heavy laden and I will give you rest he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls that is a right now promise that's why I believe this passage certainly speaks clearly to that and so when we take the lord's supper in a minute we remember that that we do rest now. So when you think about all these things I just said, and you're going down, 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 you're thinking, yes, that's me, yes, that's me. And then when I say, this is what Jesus says, come unto me all you labor heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Then what does that do to your soul right now when you hear that? Praise the Lord. He is good now. Knowing that tomorrow, though, you will be back, right back in the world. You will be sitting in these hard chairs in this nice gymnasium, listening to, to me, of all people. Today, we do rest from our works of righteousness. So in reference to our justification, it is for sure that the author here is showing a parallel between the the rest of the Old Testament Sabbath and the rest found in the Old Testament land and the gospel of Christ today. It's interesting that the last words of Buddha... Does anybody know what the last words of Buddha were? I saw this on a Twitter or something this week. And some of you might have seen it. But I looked it up. Here's the last words before he died. Strive on untiringly. That's what he told. I mean, how many millions and billions of people who have trusted Buddha have taken those words? Strive on untiringly. But do you remember the last words of Jesus? which parallels God's end of his work on the 7th day when he said I am resting what did Jesus say last words it is finished it is finished 1 Peter 3:18 for Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit We will see this in the book of Hebrews as well as we continue to go through the book of Hebrews. But in 9.26, chapter 9, verse 26, we read this. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of all the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So this today we remember as we take the Lord's Supper. In His death, by faith, we rest from our works of trying to save ourselves from our, by using our own efforts. So when you come to Christ, there is rest for your soul. However, again, this passage speaks of the ultimate rest, the new heavens and the new earth. You see, those folks in that Hebrew Christian community of, at that time, they were leaving Judaism, as I already pointed out. They were finding it very difficult. So how do we know that they were finding it so difficult in life? Look over at chapter 12, verse 3. Hebrews twelve three. The author says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He was saying, you are going through hostility. Consider Christ, who also went through hostility. And then he continues, So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, because of this evil world... <laughs> They were in danger of growing weary and faint-hearted, and so are we. This is a marathon. You might get to mile 20, and you are weary, and you are faint-hearted. But we've got to make it to twenty-six. What is it? 26.2. We've got to make it there. Look over at chapter 13, verse 3. He says, Remember those who are in prison. There were those in that community who were being put in prison. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. This is why I believe primarily this passage is speaking about a future rest. Look at chapter 13, verse 14. 13, 14. For here we have, what? No lasting city. But we seek the city... That is to come. It is not the rest rest of the Old Testament Sabbath, nor the rest of the land of Canaan, but rest that began in Christ and will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what we look for. Look at verse 8. Go back to chapter 4, verse 8. Again, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So, try to conclude this here in the next minute or two. What does this ultimate rest look like for us? What remains for God's people? Well, I think a few days ago, around the 30th of December, in my quiet time, I read the end of of the book of Revelation. But if you would, turn over to Revelation 21. Just a few pages over from Hebrews. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. How fitting is this? The very end of our book, the very end of God's book for us, we see this, this rest. And this is John, seeing this vision, and here's what he says. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, first earth, had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea is just a picture of chaos and sin. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Now that's, that's happening now. That's the fulfillment in Christ. But then we continue. This is what it looks like. The ultimate rest is coming. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this morning, chapter 4, verse 11, let us strive to enter that rest. Let us press on, press on, this new year. Here we are in the first Sunday of the new year. And may we look unto Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. May we find rest to our souls now. And may we look to that rest that remains, that is coming one day in the new heavens and the new earth. So to sum all of this up, God is the foundation of our rest. He's promised it, this rest to us we enter by faith it's fulfilled in the gospel of christ and that we are justified as we come and take the lord's supper our sins are forgiven and finally number five we wait for the new heavens and the new earth that will come thank you for listening to the grace baptist church podcast you can listen to past sermons at podbean.com search grace baptist church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple podcast, search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.